Hello, my name is Anton, and I represent a company called Faza. We're currently launching an information campaign looking to share some information with the public regarding discussions around COVID-19 and vaccines being offered to the European population, including AstraZeneca and Pfizer. Our goal is to address the results of some studies about the effectiveness of these vaccines. We provide all the info to back this up too. We think this topic will be very interesting to your subscribers. This isn't a product promotion. We're just talking about presenting the information on your favorite social networks, YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok. To discuss this opportunity, please send me the traffic stats for your channel or profile, and I'll be happy to share all the details of our work with you. Thanks in advance, Anton Faza. Hello again. No, this isn't Anton or Anton Faza, but Kevin Rothrock, me, the host of the Naked Pravda, Medusa's English language podcast. That was a weird way to start the show, right? Well, it wasn't any less strange for the bloggers in Europe who received this message last month soliciting them to join a wacky social media campaign to sling mud at coronavirus vaccines in the West. The email I just read aloud was sent to Leo Grasset. Grasset. I don't, I don't speak French. I don't know how you pronounce that. Anyway, he's a French blogger, a science communicator. He's like the Bill Nye of French YouTube, where he heads the Dirty Biology YouTube channel. What a name. Anyway, he shared that email that he received from Anton with journalists. Now, Leo apparently strung Anton along for a bit longer, and he learned that money was no object if he was willing to cooperate. He also got a set of instructions from Anton specifying exactly what he was being asked to share on his channels. The Faza company directly asked him to conceal that it would be promoted content. Do not use words, advertising, sponsored video, etc. in your post stories or videos, they told him. They should look like unadvice to the audience. As for the content itself, it addressed mortality records about vaccinated populations in different countries based on leaked correspondence from the European Medicines Agency in Amsterdam. These articles, most of which have since disappeared from the internet, except in different archives. They're all openly what you might call anti-vaxxer, arguing that the leaked data reveal a conspiracy to conceal evidence about the dangers of Pfizer's coronavirus drug. The agenda is clear from the headlines. I'll read a few. A vaccine that can kill you faster than COVID-19. A hacker like your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man on the World Wide Web. And there's even this one. Do you want to die from COVID-19 or a vaccine? Pfizer will help you decide. In all these texts, readers are warned that Pfizer's coronavirus shot kills patients three times as often as those inoculated with AstraZeneca, or that more Pfizer patients have died than all people immunized with all other coronavirus vaccines. The instructions to bloggers contained a table that reflects vaccine patients' death rates, implying that they're connected directly to the differences in the different coronavirus vaccines. In fact, there are far simpler more obvious explanations for the variants. For example, different vaccines were administered to different age groups with different mortality rates. Some vaccines were also administered over longer periods of time, creating more opportunities for natural deaths. Vaccines were also administered at different stages of the pandemic when infection rates varied. Additionally, the vaccines were administered in countries with different background mortality rates. In late April, incidentally, a nearly identical table appeared on the official Sputnik V Twitter account the account for Russia's, you know, most famous 
coronavirus vaccine. And this account is run by a marketing team that works for the vaccine's main sponsor and exporter, the Russian Direct Investment Fund. Now, both tables, the one Sputnik V shared on Twitter and the one Faz's representatives shared with bloggers, use raw hospital data, which report any adverse event in patients, regardless of proof that it was caused by a vaccine. In other words, it's generally impossible to judge vaccine deaths based on these numbers. So, what the heck is FASA, the FASA company? And why is it trying to boost fears about Pfizer? Investigative journalists at Medusa and Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty dug through corporate registration records and discovered that FASA is a business subdivision of a marketing firm in Moscow called AdNow. AdNow, like advertisements now. Carl Schreck, the enterprise editor for RFERL, told me how this corporate structure actually works. Basically, in this network that we dug into, you basically have two bases in Russia and in the UK, all with overlapping directors and founders and similar similar names, oftentimes identical names. So, you know, you have a, a British unit of Adnow and the Russian unit of Adnow. FASA is an, is an exception in this, in that we weren't able to find any actual company by that name. So it's more just a brand name. And, uh, you know, on, a, on an empo- employment um, site that we found, FASA was listed as basically a, a, a unit or a, a brand of, of AdNow. AdNow is a curious entity all by itself. Alexei Kovalev, Medusa's investigations head, says this marketing firm gets up to some dodgy work, even when it's not pushing anti-vaxxer propaganda. There are nodes in this network of different companies with similar names registered in different juris- jurisdictions and are somehow connected into this web of seemingly legitimate business in uh, you know, web marketing. But when you look at it, when you take a closer look and you talk to employees, you see that it's actually you know, it's shady stuff. They promote stuff that even in Russia would be not strictly legal, like, pr- like promoting dietary supplements, unlicensed and un- unregistered, of course. AdNow is affiliated with a woman at the center of RFRL's investigative report, Yulia Seribranskaya, who oversaw the political advertising department inside the Central Executive Committee of Russia's ruling political party in 2007. That's what she says anyway on the website for the Russian Initiative Movement, which she founded in 2017. To find out more about Seribranskaya, I spoke to Mark Krutov, a correspondent at RFRL's Russian service, who co-authored the outlet's story about FASA, an ad now. He says she seems like a common political opportunist, but that doesn't necessarily exclude her from a role in something coordinated at higher levels. What do you make of this uh, Yulia Serebranskaya person? And, and she, she has this political career and she has apparent political ambitions. Does she seem to you more like a low-level kind of opportunist or is it possible that she's a, a Kremlin operator? I want to say that I met some people like her in my life. I think maybe even lower rank uh, who tried to show themselves here and there, administrating some murky networks, taking dirty job on every level, elections, etc. Opportunism is their motto. Many of them switched to opposition when it gave more profits and then came back sometimes. But at the same time, I think she's the one who made quite a career. She's on the shorthand with many prominent uh, pro-Kremlin figures. So all after all, the answer to your question would be, 
one does not exclude another. Kremlin is in position when sometimes it has to use low-level figures. Mark's colleague at RFRL, Karl Schreck, cautions against judging Serebranskaya's motives, but he says her work in politics and civics suggests someone looking for some help. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't try to get inside uh, Ms. Serebranskaya's head, you know, as to whether she's a, a true pra- patriot or uh, opportunistic. She didn't answer our questions when we when we contacted her. Um, but, you know, I, I think that some of these organizations are just, you know, started up by people who have an idea that they can come up with kind of a, a, a patriotic organization and in that way attract, you know, some state funding or some, you know, funding from private backers who are linked to the state. Whatever Serebranskaya's hopes and dreams, Alexei Kovalyov says her operation seems just too podunk to warrant the Kremlin's patronage. Well, she doesn't really seem like the kind of person that would be interested in uh, executing such a high-profile campaign. I mean, yeah, she had some tangential connections to United Russia way back when Dmitry Medvedev was still president, and that was like a lifetime ago. And she was involved in some United Russia campaigns, well, according to her bio on her website of something that's called the Russian Initiative, that frankly looks like a, a vanity project, because she's, it's all over the place. There's legal aid to the Russian sailors apprehended in Greece. And there is some bizarre project to install the Russian word for valor in in dictionaries in different languages and all kinds of, you know, whimsical stuff. And if you look at other like genuine influence operations, which may or may not be successful at all, like that GRU and SVR run websites that are supposedly spreading misinformation about COVID and whatnot. But if you look at those websites too, it's like uh, they have like hundreds of page views. It's nothing. And maybe they have some uh, extra help disseminating this this information, but it's not really that successful. But this is really a lot like low-key stuff. And you can see that, you know, this is something that I've I've encountered before. And I don't think she's the kind of person that Kremlin will get on board to uh, really discredit the foreign vaccines. About four years ago, in May 2017, Alexei wrote about how Moscow Mayor Sergei Sebyanin controls an entire secret network of astroturf social media, spinning media stories to his administration's advantage. I asked Alexei how the Ad Now campaign against Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine compares to Moscow's propaganda empire. Well, there are some similarities. Like, at the bottom, there are like really low paid level, uh, really low paid spendable staff, which is kind of the entry point for uh, investigative reporters because they use these guys for like, for really a pittance. My source at the company saw, said the salary was 25,000 rubles and that's like 380 bucks, I think, a month. So they use, so they use these guys like cannon fodder and then they just throw them out without any, of course, there are no, there are no benefits, there is no insurance, nothing. It's just basically temp workers. And of course, that leaves a trail of disgruntled employees. But the problem is that, you know, they really have very little access to, they don't know anyone in the company except their immediate superior. But AdNow does exist. That's an actual company that exists. You know, it's quite unusual because they, okay, for all intents and purposes, they've, they've destroyed their own company because it's become toxic now. I don't think, you know, with, the, with, the, with that level of coverage and especially if, if it's 
uh, if it's obvious that the company had no contingency plan at all and no crisis management, they just shut everyone off. They shut off their phones, they closed down their office, they deleted their social media accounts. And I, I can't quite believe that they've kept this. If, if this company is indeed a front for someone, you know, it's not realistic that they've been keeping up, keeping it up, keeping up appearances of a legitimate company for what, six, seven years now, just to uh, execute one hit job and then just disappear. No, that's just too much, too much resources to pour into one a single campaign. Right. So they so they screwed up. Yeah, they really screwed up because they 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 left their internal documents out there and they open they hired people without making without actually having them sign any NDAs. So I, people I approached I was like, "Oh, so you're probably under very strict NDAs. So I'm okay if you I'm okay with an off the record comment or an anonymous comment." And one person was like, "Oh no, I don't even I don't even have a contract." <laughs> so I'll tell you I'll tell you I'll tell you everything I know. <laughs> now, the fact that all this was sort of concealed behind these various shell companies, that would seem to suggest that that Serebranskaya or whoever was working with her in this project did not want to be discovered, but at the same time, for this to boost anybody's political career, presumably someone would need to know that they were doing it, right? If it's like a favor to Russia's, you know, geopolitical interests or diplomatic agenda or whatever. So like, what's the rationale for not speaking to journalists afterwards, after it's been discovered and for concealing it this way? Is it just that it could be people behind closed doors know who's behind it and then they get credit for it? Or how does that play out in terms of like reputation? So it's a re- it's a really sloppy operation. You know, there was some speculation about maybe it's just all you know, maybe it's um, some kind of a ruse because it was just too easy to discover. I mean, they were actually writing these bloggers and sending them these you know detailed specifications for for these sponsored posts that weren't supposed to be called sponsored without him ha- without having them sign an NDA first. And, you know, it was a very, you know, on all accounts, there was a very sloppy operation. So, but and then, then again, there's so many things that just don't quite, quite click together. And, you know, these are all questions that, you know, we need to ask, you know, all the people involved, but they're avoiding us. And well, but we will be digging out for more because that's obviously, obviously that's, that's not, a, that's, that, that's um, still a work in progress, this investigation. Mark Krutov compares Serebranskaya's marketing activism to applying for government grants, which by the way is literally what she did with a personal initiative to promote the Russian language abroad in schools and even in foreign dictionaries, including the specific word podvik, meaning a feat of heroism. It's like applying for a grant, like she did with a like Podwick word uh, story when she applied for a presidential grant in Russia to receive some funding but failed. Maybe this is the same. I also spoke, we didn't include this in our piece, but I spoke with a few people whom I saw among her friends on Facebook, on a Facebook, because I, uh, I had like 17 common friends with her on Facebook. I, of course, I asked some of them, do you know her? What can you say about her? Most of them didn't remember remember her very well but they one of them one of the one of these people uh, said to me that he looked into the list of her friends on facebook and it seems to him that she's from surkov's circle 
And uh, Surkov, you know, is the former Putin's aide uh, who who officially stepped aside, but some people say that he retains some influence. So maybe it's a pure speculation, but maybe it was some uh, Surkov's thing who tried uh, in this way to to remind about himself in the Kremlin to show that he's still useful or something like that. But I re- I, I repeat again, it's a pure speculation. If Serebranskaya or Whoever is behind the anti-Pfizer propaganda campaign is just a sidelined kook angling for state patronage. Why does the content and the message match some of the Sputnik V social media team's rhetoric so closely? Alexei Kovalev acknowledges the similarities, but he warns that they're just superficial in the end. There, there is some overlap in you know numbers and even elements of design. I mean, the uh, typeface is very similar. I think it's the, the pretty much the same typeface, but it doesn't tell us anything really because anyone could have used these this data and these this typeface and of course Sputnik's uh, manufacturers the Russian investment uh, direct investment fund they are extremely aggressive in their public affairs they're very hostile towards journalists but they're professionals I mean they are you know, their modus operandi there, it's, it's impeccable. They always come at you with hard data that you cannot really dispute. And I mean, they are, they, these, these people are not sloppy. You know, they are many things, but they are not sloppy. And their, you know, their demeanor, their online demeanor can be quite, you know, childish, pretty much like Russia's foreign policy, which often behaves like, like a petulant teenager when it doesn't get what it, uh, what it, what, uh, what it thinks it's entitled to. Uh, and it's always picking, <laughs> picking fights online. But no, I don't think they would you know, touch anything as sloppy as this with a barge pole. But the table that was sent to bloggers and that Sputnik V tweeted out, that has been criticized on pretty rigorous scientific terms, right? Yeah, yeah, it has. Uh-huh. So the RDF social media team isn't necessarily always so rigorous, I guess. Well, maybe, maybe that's uh, maybe that's that's uh, that's what they think uh, like social media campaigns should be like. Mm-hmm. Punchy. Yeah, punchy. <laughs> 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 but again, it, it, uh, it, it's not even spec. You know, it's not even in the realm of speculation that Sputnik's team could have could have had something to do with it. To could have. Yeah, because it's 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 purely you know the, the the similarities are they're there, but they're you know quite superficial. So I really, in terms of you know geopolitical strategies, spreading anti-vax conspiracies online, especially for Russia, is uh, a pretty self-destructive strategy, because Russia has one of the most I think one of the highest vaccine hesitancy rates in the world. I mean, we invented the goddamn vaccine. And <laughs> we've only managed to, to vaccinate barely 10% of our population in six months, whereas the United States has already vaccinated half of its population. So, and, and it always comes, you know, these conspiracy uh, uh, theories that are, that Russian state media are regurgitating, they always come to bite us in, in the back, in the, in the backside, because they, you know, you launch conspiracy, someone picks it up, you know, some, pro-Kremlin right-wing outlet picks it up and then it gets gets translated back in Russian and then it gets circulated back in, in Russian social media, thus increasing the uh, the general, you know, vaccination hesitancy rates, leading to leading to even less, even fewer people uh, wanting to get vaccinated in Russia itself. So 
I cannot, I, I cannot really see the goal of this campaign. I mean, is, is it to undermine, you know, Western vaccines? So, you know, these countries buy more Sputnik? I have no, I have no idea. I mean, uh, that, that's what, you know, that's what irks me. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand the motive, the motive of these people. Mark Krutov says the key to decoding the rationale behind attacking Pfizer's vaccine could be as simple as primitive thinking. I think Sputnik V targets specific Western vaccines, obviously to promote the idea that Sputnik V is better, or at least as good. What Pfizer tried to spread is the idea that Pfizer is like three times more lethal than AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca. This is, in my opinion, still overlaps with the general Kremlin idea to spread contradictions and to bring some discord in general. Like during its interference into US elections, they targeted both right and left, trying to bump their foreheads. And same same I see here, it could have easily been AstraZeneca is three times more lethal than Pfizer or, or anything else. Uh, was the goal to make people switch to Sputnik instead? If so, it's a stupid, in my opinion, idea, because people will just start to trust less in any vaccines. If you are Coca-Cola and want to undermine Pepsi, what's the sense to undermine trust in cola as a drink in general? <laughs> At the same time, we see that Serbrianska promoted Sputnik V in her interviews and on Russian initiative website. So maybe, yes, their thought was as primitive as bump Western vaccines against each other and Sputnik will win. Unfortunately for Serbrianska, it doesn't work like that. I would also add that Sputnik V is so far behind uh, major vaccines in terms of uh, sales, in terms of how many doses delivered uh, on expert, uh, on, on internal market. So maybe they thought that, okay, we understand that we are losers in this uh, vaccines rate, race. So let's, let's just, let's just uh, make something bad <laughs> for the West. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this logic was applied here. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English-language podcast from Medusa. On today's show, we talked about a strange marketing campaign against Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine that was apparently orchestrated from inside Russia. You heard from Medusa Investigations head Alexei Kovalyov and RFERL journalists Mark Krutov and Karl Schreck, who broke the story. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa. It's our only English-language show, and I hope you recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Speaking of putting things in front of people, hmm, I don't know about that segue. Anyway, if you value Medusa's reporting, that's a good segue. Whether in English or in Russian or both, please consider making a contribution at supportmedusa.io to help sustain our work. Recurring pledges help more, but we will take whatever you can spare, of course. Thank you for listening, and come back soon. <laughs>